we don't get enough zinc in our diet. So zinc to me is a very important thing to to take for women because it can help with especially if you're trying to, you know, work out and you're trying and you have a busy schedule and you you feel testosterone deficiency back to that fatigue around four or five in the afternoon, not feeling yourself, you know, it's like you just don't feel like you. Zinc can certainly help a little bit with that. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Dr. Sean Tessone. Dr. Tessone is a double board certified physician in obstetrics and gynecology and integrative medicine. He is a practicing OBGYN, speaker, patient advocate, and author. His books are written on topics of spirituality and medical care, hormone balance, various aspects of women's health, such as birth control and pregnancy, and he is an advocate for whole foods to heal the human body. Dr. Tesson believes it's time for women to understand fatigue, weight gain, insomnia, irregular periods, fibroids, decreased libido, and burnout are not permanent situations. He is determined to remove the myths surrounding women's health. You are not broken, you are not simply getting older, and you are not dealing with something permanent. Dr. Tesson wants to teach women to take back their health, take back their life, and feel the way they've always wanted by creating the only hormone quiz in the world that has been distilled from the lives of over 40,000 women. In this episode, Dr. Tessone and I discuss the most common hormonal issues women are experiencing in today's society and the top nutrients to support their hormones. And I promise you, some of these nutrients you will have never heard of, which always gets me so excited. In Dr. Tessone's words, it's time to start feeling better than normal. Welcome, Dr. Tessone. I'm so happy to have you on today to talk about all <laughs> women's and hormones. And I mean, it's such a complicated subject matter, but there are definitely tools that we can use to help balance our hormones. And you are the expert. So we are so thrilled to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk about this because I think it's a really common uh, question that a lot of women have. And I don't think it gets the press that it deserves, as it were. Yeah. And lots of confusing answers when you just look on the internet. So I'm happy to have you here and, you know, debunk any myths and speak all the truths. But first off, I just would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your journey um, to becoming an integrative health practitioner and what drew you to gynecology and helping women throughout the different stages of their lives. Well, I think uh, initially, you know, you go to medical school and then, you know, you go through your third and fourth years and you go through the different rotations, psychiatry, pediatrics, medicine. And initially I wanted to do internal medicine because I liked the diagnostic aspect of it and trying to figure out problems. And, and what, the, what I found was in that field that I could figure out the problem, but then I couldn't fix it because... I didn't have any ability to do that. And I liked the obstetrics. Uh, well, obstetrics is fun because it's babies. And when you're 27 and you think you can do anything, it's great. And then you're 50 and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't keep staying up all night. But uh, the gynecology part allowed me to do the medicine because there's diabetes and thyroid issues and hormones and all these things. And and then surgically, I'd have the ability to help fix things like fibroids or endometriosis. So I had this 
uh, kind of wide spectrum. And then what happened to me when I was a second year resident, um, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And so I had this knowledge base of what cancer was and, and how, to, how they treated it and everything. Uh, she succumbed to that disease uh, five years later when I was in private practice. And what I noticed over her journey was, and uh, of myself, I'm an only child. And so I couldn't, I couldn't save my mom. She died. But I, what I found was that I couldn't help my mom live a better life while she was here. You know, she had, uh, you know, her hair problems and then she had joint pain and she 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 wasn't the same person. And I really felt like I couldn't, I couldn't even help my own mother. So I was like, what am I supposed to do? Because I, I felt like, well, certainly I'm going to have patients that have issues like this. And I can't, what am I going to just say? I can't help you. I, I felt really helpless. And so as you do, when you're having a spiritual crisis, you go to Sedona. And so I went, <laughs> I went to Sedona. I was living in Tucson at the time. And I went to Sedona, I was reading this book, and this was probably around 2004. And I was reading this book at the time, it was crazy. It was called Eight Weeks to Optimum Health by Andrew Weil. And he was talking about this crazy stuff like CoQ10, fish oil, and vitamin D. And I was just blowing my mind. And so I was like, I got to learn more about this. And I got to the end of the book and there was this page that said, hey, if you're a doctor and you want to learn more about this kind of stuff, they actually had a residency that you could do a two-year program. And it was in Tucson, which is right where I was. So I was like, well, this is too much of a coincidence. So I did that two-year fellowship and learned a lot. And then during that two-year fellowship, there was this eight weeks thing on spirituality and I was like, that blew my mind again. So then I went and did a six-year PhD in philosophy. And so, and then what I've done since 2015 is kind of incorporate all of that. I quit doing obstetrics because I just, I didn't have the time to do what I wanted to do. And I've just sort of dove headlong into just doing gynecology and hormones and trying to incorporate the integrative side of what I do. And also I do robotic surgery. I just did some robotic surgery a couple hours ago, but then I can also tell a woman who's having heavy periods about yarrow flowers to help control her bleeding. You know, so there's that kind of wide range of stuff that I can help with. Yeah, no, th I mean, that's such a powerful story, but also like you said, just such a great co coincidence that you were already in Tucson. Yeah. No, like it, it was, was calling yeah. you. And I do wish, I mean... I'm sure you probably feel the same way, but that all MDs would have the opportunity or take the opportunity, I should say, um, to do some type of fellowship or residency that incorporates more nutrition and or learning about nutrients and how they affect the body because I'm sure you found it's like, it's so powerful and it's such a, better fix at times than having to go a surgery route or just for people who have to constantly live in pain or, you know, like your mom was experiencing, um, not the best quality of life. It's, uh, it's, I feel like it's on the up and up and it's, it's heading that way that at least nutrition's being integrated a bit more, um, into, you know, residency and medical school, but, um, that's great that you were able to have the opportunity to do that. 
Yeah, I think um, back then, uh, things were uh, much different. Like I said, a fish oil supplement wasn't really a thing. It wasn't really a thing. Um, Flaxseed was kind of granola-y, if you will. And um, the the nutrition side of things, I mean, when I grew up, you had you didn't eat butter, you ate margarine. You know, it was like, that was, that was what, if you had a heart attack, they put you on margarine because it was supposed to be better. And then you come up, as you get older and you have, we're still trying to break that cycle, actually, I think with the fats and things like that. But back then it was a lot different. And so for me at the time, it was a little bit, you know, I got kind of shunned, if you will, by some, you know, laughed at or whatever. And I've never really been bothered by that, but it's, it's, it's a difficult road. Even now, I think sometimes people that are in bigger groups and they try to do something like, yeah, and and you'll be surprised. There's a lot of doctors. I think I would venture. I bet you it's more than half of practicing physicians are not happy with the way that we have to do things, and we don't like doing ten minute visits, and we don't like being limited by our knowledge base, and we don't get any nutritional, you know, education. But but maybe you know we're not supposed to know a lot about nutrition because we got to learn all the other stuff, and that's why they're nutritionists. So. I think the thing about integrated medicine that I particularly like over like say functional medicine, which wasn't a thing when I was looking, is that integrative learns how to integrate or bring in other providers from different practices. So learning about, you know, acupuncture and and homeopathy, naturopathy and all those other things and trying to come up with a way to refer patients to other people. Whereas I think functional has gotten more into the testing and looking at labs and, and, and whether they want it to be that, that's, I think, what they've sort of boxed themselves into. But there's, you know, either way, I think it just helps patients kind of, and there's a place for allopathy too, like surgery. I mean, sometimes you got to have surgery. And, mm-hmm. and so it's good to have all those options. Yeah, no, I think you said it best with kind of defining or at least saying what, you know, functional medicine has become integrative. And sometimes as a practitioner, the best we can do for our patients and really what our job is to is to refer them to where they need to go. And so being able to understand all the different modalities out there is is really important. Um, I'm curious, Dr. Tesson, in your practice, but then also just what you see in today's society, what are the most common hormonal issues among women that you're seeing, you know, that are consistent or increasing? Well, I think um, I used to think that the number when I came out with my book and can I do shameless plugging during your podcast? Of course. Okay. So in my book that came out in July of 2021, The Hormone Balance Bible, I thought it would be a good way to communicate with patients by describing hormone imbalances through archetypes and stories. And so my initial thought was the estrogen dominant um, would be probably one of the more common ones because of obesity and birth control pills and and a lot of the things in the in the food supply and whatnot, estrogen and things like that. But what I found was way, way beyond estrogen dominance was testosterone deficiency. Very, very, probably the number one far and away across all the age groups. And Estrogen dominance was second. And then probably I would say what I call subclinical hypothyroidism, where you don't necessarily meet the criteria for labs. 
you're kind of in the basement of normal, but you have a lot of the symptoms. And that's where I think medicine really misses the mark is on people that don't fall outside of the norm when it comes to the number, but they have all the symptoms. But when you look at their number, they're actually in the basement of normal. So we're really, I think, failing those people. But I would say testosterone deficiency, estrogen dominance, and, and low, uh, low normal thyroid. And why do you think those are common issues for women, like based on our society and today's culture? Well, I mean, if you look at the main things, for sure, nutrition, um, you know, the processed foods, processed carbs, high carb diets, uh, bad fats, not eating, you know, healthy fats. And also uh, rampant use of probably birth control pills and medications, um, not really getting out and probably exercising and getting out in the sun and doing things. Definitely sleep. Uh, most women that I see, if I saw 100 women, probably 80 of them would have sleep issues. Um, that's huge. And obesity is huge. And, and obesity is going to raise estrogen levels. It's going to lower testosterone levels in men too. And so I think, you know, and then not to mention probably a little bit of a smaller factor, but you've got all of these endocrine disrupting agents in the food and heavy metals and, um, you know, plastics and things that mimic estrogen. And so that, that adds to it as well. And do you find then if you're, if you have patients presenting with these issues you're doing a combination of nutrition and, you know, kind of an environmental toxin cleanup or what's, what's like a, t yeah, a t you know, I say typical protocol, but obviously we know every patient's different. Um, but like for someone, let's say, who has testosterone deficiency. Uh, testosterone deficiency really for me with the nutrition side of things is really getting people to focus on high protein. Most women don't eat enough protein. And a, a really good friend of mine, Gabrielle Lyon, who's a physician. Yeah, really, we've had Gabrielle on. Yeah, she's great. And she walks the talk. You know, she looks like she's mm. a weightlifter and her <laughs> husband's a ex-Navy SEAL and they're really good friends of mine. And Gabrielle always talks about muscle mass. And we know that the more muscle mass women have is longevity and same for men. Testosterone builds muscle. So what do you need? You need to eat more lean protein. And most women don't get nearly enough. I mean, if you're looking at one gram of protein per ideal body weight, you know, most women should probably be eating somewhere between 120, 150 grams of protein a day. And they're not getting anywhere near that. That's like 30 grams of protein five times a day. That's hard to do. Um, and then doing high intensity interval exercises, whether that's cardio or weightlifting. Most women are afraid of getting bulky and so they don't really do the resistance training. I think that's changing a lot. Um, but a lot of women are still stuck in that idea of running and doing, you know, jogging and stuff. And jogging can be some of the worst possibly that you could do for, it's good cardiovascular, but, you know, look at the Look at the marathon runner next to the sprinter. You know, the sprinter has those big legs and they look muscular and lean, whereas the marathoner looks like they're sick. You know, they, they, cause you're cat catabolizing your own muscle. And it's like at a certain point, the more you do, your cortisol levels going up and you're actually eating your own muscle. So I do think that nutrition wise is definitely proteins and, and good fats and not being afraid of those things lowering your processed carbs and then increasing um, 
Yeah, your your good fat intake. Yeah, I would say most clients I see are honestly probably eating 10 to 15 grams of protein at every meal, but they think they're eating enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Which also, in a way, you can't blame people because if they don't know, one, how many grams of protein they should have at each meal or what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to also work with a provider. Um, sure. But no, that's really helpful. And so now I want to dive into um, our top nutrients to support women's hormones, particularly. So for anyone listening, they can start to at least incorporate some of these nutrients in. Yeah, and there's, I have probably four or five that I think if I, usually we'll make some recommendations on supplements for most women. It's a, it's a part of my Shine's protocol. I think supplementation is great, but I think one of the problems is um, most women either don't know what they're supplementing or they are using a product. I'm what I call a purist in supplementing. So if I'm going to use, um, say, magnesium, I only use magnesium. I don't like to use proprietary formulas that have like 10 things in there because then I don't know what's working. So I'm kind of a purist in that aspect. And people are buying all these formulas and they're overlapping and there's, you know, they're getting 10 times what they need in this and not enough of that. And so I will usually make recommendations and probably four or five things I find are very common. Um, probably number one, uh, like I just said, we can talk about it magnesium just because magnesium is responsible for the function of our cells and it's responsible for 250 processes in the body and most of us aren't getting enough magnesium. Um, the problem with magnesium is there's so many different types, you know, like 3NA, glycinate, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these different types. And I tend to use magnesium glycinate because it doesn't cause the GI distress and it works really well. If it's a problem with sleep and it does help with sleep, but if sometimes I'll focus on 3NA if there's more anxiety because it has more of an effect on the brain. But Magnesium is definitely probably the number one thing. And it's relatively inexpensive for the most part. You can find magnesium for probably $15 a month for the most part. And that's the other thing I always tell my patients. It's like, I I don't, just because the supplement, this is where I say you should spend your money is on supplements because a cheap supplement, why even bother? One, you don't know what's in it. Uh, Two, it could have other stuff that makes it just go farther. Um, and, and really just in, in that, in many cases, if it's a more expensive supplement or a, a recognizable company, that's probably worth it. Like, I don't want you to buy your fish oil in bulk because it's a third the price, because if you ever cut that capsule open, you'd smell it, it'd be rancid, you know? And so, um, I, I really want people to, if they're going to spend their money, that's where they should probably spend it. So magnesium would be my, probably my top one. Yeah, and I always think about magnesium too in kind of in people's current state of chronic stress, to be honest, or acute stress, because mm-hmm. as our stress increases, we also become more magnesium depleted. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, most people aren't taking enough magnesium through their diet anyways, but that's right. one area I always see. It's like, you know, a lot of depletion just from that stress magnesium cycle. Um, that's a great one. What what about uh, number two? Um, number two would be probably fish oil. I, I think that um, I have a lot of patients that like to use flaxseed if they're vegan or vegetarian because I'm in Austin. So that's more common. And that's okay too. 
um, fish oil, uh, I think has better properties for the heart and for the brain and things like that. Um, the problem and fish oil, the problem is we also don't use enough. And if you use it, you're using something that's probably rancid, you know? And so I always tell patients, if you want to cut it open and see what it sounds or looks like, then you might find out that it's kind of gross and it shouldn't be gross. It's okay if it smells like fish, but it's not something that you want to be disgusting, you know? And, and in most cases, like, you know, I'm not going to name a brand, but if it, if you go to the, the big chain mm-hmm. stores that are huge, you're getting it. Yeah. You might get three times the amount, but you're going to, it's worthless and it could actually maybe even do harm. So a really good, and I'm usually shooting for maybe two to three grams a day, not any higher than that. And, and especially if you're pregnant or if you're trying to get pregnant, EPA, um, you know, a good fish oil supplement is, is essential. Um, heart disease, it's, it's great. It thins the blood. It helps, you know, um, with, with, you know, your HDL, LDL ratios. I take it every day. And the great thing about some companies is they put lemon in it. So if you burp, it tastes kind of lemony. So that's kind of nice. Um, that's another common complaint is that uh, you'll, you burp when you take fish oil. And so you'll get fish burps. But I, I found if you just put them in the freezer and take them frozen, then that doesn't happen. And honestly, Dr. Tasson, you should never have a fish burp. If you do, that's actually usually a sign that it's rancid. Yeah. And I've, so, like, I tell people that yeah. too, yeah. And it happens all the that's time. The, oh, it happens all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many people are like, no, I don't want to take fish oil because I hate having those fishy burps. Or they mm-hmm. take it every day and they're like, oh, I just hate those fish burps. And I'm like, well, let's discuss that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't have fish burps. It shouldn't taste or smell fishy. Like you said, if you were to cut open in a capsule, yes, like it's okay if it smells like fish, but it's just like when you're buying fish in the store. It shouldn't smell fishy. Correct. Um. Okay, what would you say is your third top nutrient? I'm a big fan of maca. Um, the uh, maca is one of those, it's a root from Peru. Um, it really helps. It's really interesting because it, we know that it helps with hormonal imbalances, that it brings things kind of more back into the midline. It doesn't necessarily raise levels or lower levels, but, and we don't know the exact mechanism of action, but it does help. I always kind of say like maca is kind of like uh, insulation. It kind of fills in the gaps where um, like for women that might have a little insomnia or maybe they're on hormones and they're having a little hot flash here and there or they don't want to take hormones because of breast cancer or something and and they're still having horrible hot flashes. Maca for me is probably in the top three because it works really well. It's relatively inexpensive. Um, About... Six years ago, uh, the Chinese company, a Chinese company came in and bought all the maca on the market in Peru. And then what they did was they, they pulverized it and they mixed it with a bunch of stuff to make it go farther, but it really diluted out the maca. So I really tell patients, if you're going to try to buy maca, I'm not a huge fan of powders because I don't know what's in it. And it's, you know, you're buying it bulk and anything bulk, you really don't always know. And I suppose there's good ways to source it, but there's companies out there. There's a company that came in behind the the Chinese company and bought the land. And so they, they can't do that anymore. And they pay the farmers a fair wage and 
Um, so I use that company solely when I'm prescribing maca. Maca is one of those um, plants. It has 13 phenotypes or 13 colors, different types. If they grow in certain areas of Peru, they do certain things and they change their dynamics. So you really want to have the right type grown in the right place. And then you want to treat it and put it into a capsule the right way. A gelatin capsule are usually the best. And all those things have to be in line for it to work. And so most of the stuff that's in a powder just isn't going to meet that criteria. So are you getting maca that is for a man? Are you getting maca that's for a perimenopausal woman? Because there's different formulas. So you want to be careful with maca. And, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, happy about that in depth. Um, with any has questions about that or maps and blog posts and whatnot about it. Um, so we've got maca, magnesium, and uh, fish oil. I think another one that I'm, I really like for women to have available is uh, hops. Uh, hops is a flower. That are, we make beer out of it, right? But hops, if you take the flower of the plant and you put it into a capsule, uh, it's good for sleep. And I can't tell you how many women I've gotten off of sleeping medication like Ambien with hops. Uh, it works very well. It is a phytoestrogen. So for women that have um, breast cancer and they're worried about estrogens, you don't want to take it maybe all the time, but it definitely can help with sleep. And as we know, sleep is super important. Uh, it uh, can cause weight gain if you're not getting enough sleep. It can throw your hormones out of whack by raising cortisol and that can lower testosterone. Um, so I think hops is good. And another one I think you should have just kind of in your medicine cabinet. We talked about this before we started was yarrow, yarrow flower. Uh, yarrow is a really great, another flower. The Indians have been using it for centuries. And yarrow works uh, by slowing down blood. So for a woman that has a really heavy period, yarrow can slow down your period. Now, it's not necessarily going to fix the problem that could be causing the bleeding, but it could maybe keep you out of the emergency room or uh, if you didn't have, you know, if you're soaking through pads, it might slow things down enough to where you wouldn't be going through your pants kind of a thing or if you were going to be on vacation or something and you wanted to have it around. So another one I think is really important is zinc. Zinc used to get a bad rap. Uh, because women who were taking zinc, were, we were told that too much zinc will raise your testosterone and can cause other problems. But sometimes if you have low testosterone, that could be good. And it's we don't get enough zinc in our diet. So zinc to me is a very important thing to to take for women because it can help with, especially if you're trying to you know work out and you're trying and you have a busy schedule and you you feel testosterone deficiency. Back to that. Fatigue around four or five in the afternoon, not feeling yourself, not feeling, I say if it was a t-shirt, it would just say blah. You know, it's like, you just don't feel like you. Zinc can certainly help a little bit with that. Um, and uh, the other one that's really important, I think, is CoQ10. CoQ10 is really important because a lot of us are on statins. I'm on a statin. As much people will probably yell at me for that, but I am on a statin. and. Statins uh, really lower your CoQ10. Now, CoQ10 is important because it helps your mitochondria make pregnenolone, which is the grandmother of all your hormones. It's pregnenolone is where all your other hormones come from. So 
theoretically, women that are on statins, if they're not making a lot of CoQ10 because of the statin, they could be affecting their hormones downstream. So a good CoQ10, you know, two to 400 micrograms a day of a really good, now CoQ10 probably should be refrigerated. And um, as are most fish oils, except for yours, um, of course, um, because of the way that you make it. But that's the other thing you want to look at is do these supplements need to be refrigerated? Do they not need to be refrigerated? Um, because a lot of these things probably do need to be refrigerated and they're sitting on the shelf for weeks, maybe a month. And so you want to look at that. CoQ10 should probably be refrigerated. And most of the time you'll see it in like a brown bottle because of the sunlight issue. Um, and that's the other thing is some of these things are in glass bottles and you really want to, um, make sure that you have a supplement that company that really pays attention to is it going to be damaged by sunlight. Another one that I find very important is vitamin D. And that should probably be in the top three, but uh, because 95% of the population is deficient in vitamin D. And I find that most people do well with probably 5,000 units and you can overdose on vitamin D. So you want to be really careful. Vitamin D, A, K, and E are all fat-soluble vitamins, which means they store in your fat. B vitamins make really expensive urine. So, you know, when you take a B vitamin, you pee ectoplasmic yellow, and that's because it just comes right out through your kidneys. Vitamin D, though, will store in your body, and you can have kidney stones and all other kinds of issues if you take too much. So you want to be careful. You can actually cause heart disease because you can cause calcium deposits and calcifications in your heart um, if you take too much vitamin D. So you want to be careful of that. But I find most of the time around 5,000 units pretty steady. We have these normal ranges for labs, but there's a difference between normal and optimal. Um, so also working with a practitioner that's focused more on optimal numbers um, than the standard normal range, I think is really important. I wanted to go back to heavy periods and heavy blood flow. So this is something I find so many women struggle with. Um, I also found myself in the struggle postpartum. I was not prepared for a huge change um, in my period and blood flow. What are some of the things besides using some yarrow flour that you would recommend for women who are experiencing heavy or painful periods? It's obviously a grand generalization. Yes. Go to a doctor, obviously, <laughs> if it's bothering you. Um, you should always have a workup to make sure there isn't some sort of a structural issue with the uterus, like a thickened lining, uh, fibroids, polyps, something like that. But let's just say everything's normal. You're just having a heavy period. Usually, that is because when you start to shed the lining, you make a chemical called a prostaglandin. And prostaglandins do a few things in the body. First of all, we use prostaglandins to induce labor. So obviously they cause uterine contractions. They can be very, they can feel like labor sometimes. That it depends on the level of the prostaglandins. So what do prostaglandins do in the body? Well, they cause cramping. They vasodilate, so they cause more blood loss. They can cause nausea and vomiting, headache, fever, they can make you feel like you have the flu. And so what you want to do is you want to try to block the prostaglandin receptors on the uterus. Now, one of the biggest prostaglandin inhibitors on the market is ibuprofen, but that's not really a supplement. So, but you can, you can, that's why ibuprofen can work sometimes with 
cramping because it blocks the receptors. However, if you wanted to do something preventive instead of reactive, like with the Motrin, uh, and maybe just use ibuprofen as a rescue, um, you can do a couple of things. One would be to use uh, fish oil, actually. Fish oil in high doses will move the prostaglandin cascade. So when you release prostaglandins, they'll go one of two ways. One causes the vasoconstriction, one causes vasodilation and cramping. Well, the fish oil in high doses will actually move you away from the bad prostaglandin into the other side. And so I have women where I use high doses of fish oil, magnesium, um, and, and I'll add Motrin as a rescue, and it can be life-changing just from doing that. Now, the great thing about fish oil and magnesium is you don't, you can take them every day. They're actually good for you. And so, because women will ask, well, do I just do it during? No, you want to do it every day. You want to do it every day. And the other, there's a, 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 a supplement called white willow bark. Uh, white willow bark actually has salicylic acid, which is aspirin. Um, so if you are a, literally a tree hugger, because it's bark, um, you can use white willow bark instead of the ibuprofen, and it will probably help uh, block those receptors. But if you can get up to two to three grams a day, of um, fish oil, and you can do four to 800 milligrams a day of uh, magnesium glycinate, usually those periods will be uh, 50 to 75% better um, just from doing that alone. And most of those women are put on birth control pills because it helps, but it, it doesn't fix the problem. It just, you know, kind of puts a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, you'll notice a huge difference with cramping and taking magnesium, whether that's your period or um, like I'm currently pregnant right now again, Dr. Tesson, and it's like yes. leg cramps. Thank yeah. you. But like leg cramps at night. I mean, any type of cramping, like I always tell people, anyone that's not even just an athlete, but someone who's active or going to the gym or we always recommend strength training, taking some magnesium night. You mentioned before, it also helps kind of calm the body as well before bed and can help you sleep. Um, and certain kinds like magnesium threonate can help calm the mind. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, to me, magnesium is just such a magic pill mm -hmm. that does so many things. Um, you know, my one of my last questions is, is to talk a little bit about what can women do if they're listening now and they're like, okay, I've had these issues, but every time I go to my doctor and I tell them something's wrong, they either just do one test here and there or, you know, they kind of ignore me a bit. Um, what would be your best advice to them? With regards to hormones? Yeah, or, with regards okay. to hormones and feeling like something is off with their hormones, but not mm -hmm. getting a great response from their doctor. Well, I always say don't ever try to convince your doctor, you know, because what's the point? Uh, if they don't want to do it, find somebody else. Um, because then that just becomes, if they don't want to do it, they think they know more, obviously, the, and, and they're just, they're not going to. And then it just becomes animosity and who wants that. So there's two ways that I think you can go about it. You can try to find somebody that does this, like me, and I'm trying to get licensed now in more states so I can do it across state lines, which is kind of nice that the states are allowing this now. 
usually, you know, naturopaths are pretty open to it if you can't find a, a you know, a GYN or somebody to do it. Um, then the question is, if they do it, you want them to run the right tests because that's the other problem. I see a lot of women get blood testing, but they're not ordering the right stuff. So you want to make sure if they're going to do it, you're getting estradiol, progesterone, a free and total testosterone with sex hormone binding globulin, a DHEA, uh, vitamin D, uh, free T3, which is for thyroid, free T4, and a TSH. And if you have a family history of thyroid problems, you probably could get what's called a TPOA or thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Uh, there are some more detailed tests that you can get for your heart that have like apolipoprotein A and B. Uh, you can look at CoQ10 levels. You can look at omega-3 levels if you want to get more detailed. But for just hormones, um, yeah, ask if, if you feel like you're getting any kickback or the immediate reaction is to just put you on a birth control pill, that person is probably not a good fit for you anyways. And they might be great for delivering your baby or whatnot, but they may not be really wanting to do this. And I always say this, you know, OBs or people that do OBGYN are on average probably seeing 40 to 50 patients a day. Um, because as you're aware, the OB visits are pretty short. Um, OB is a high ticket item. You get paid more. If I see somebody in my office and I still take insurance and it's hard for me sometimes to generate the revenue because you do have to see some volume, but I can spend maybe 20 to 30 minutes at a time with somebody, whereas an OBGYN might be able to only spend five to 10. And it's hard for you to feel like you're getting what you want. And so for them to deal with hormonal issues, they don't have the time. They just don't. And so maybe find somebody that does GYN only, like that would be a good first step, maybe only gynecology, or if they have the shingle of functional or integrative and then look at you know how much money they're charging because it ranges and you don't want to break your bank most of these blood tests i will tell you are covered by insurance if they're coded properly and so don't waste your money on lab testing if you if you're going to spend money spend it on the supplements spend it on the office visits but don't convince your doctor and then also remember if you have labs drawn if they say yeah I'll go, okay fine i'll go ahead and draw them and then they turn around and they say, oh, all your labs are normal, but you feel horrible. Ask for a copy of the labs because chances are they're not, they're normal, but they're at the bottom, like we talked about. Earlier. They're just in the basement of normal. And that might, for you, that's not your norm. And so that's what I was telling you. I was like, what is your normal? I, I, and that, those are, that's not more apparent than with thyroid and testosterone because yep. testosterone, if you, the range on testosterone is like one to six, and that's a free testosterone. Well, what if you come back at one, which is what a lot of women are? Well, I could multiply that six times and it would still be normal for a woman. If I told a guy I was going to raise his testosterone sixfold, they would be ecstatic because they want that. But women, for some reason, aren't, they don't feel like they don't, they can't ask, they can't do it. Thyroid is the same way. The range for a free T3, which is your active thyroid, 2.2 to 4.4. Well, I think women feel better around three and a half or 3.3, which is right in the middle. But I can tell you how many, I, I saw a lady the other day whose TSH and T4 were completely normal. She felt miserable, but her free T3, which is her active thyroid hormone, was, was not even in the normal range. She was actually hypothyroid, but wasn't, they didn't draw that lab. And so 
And I can't answer why. I don't know why. I really don't. I've, I didn't used to draw them either 10 years ago. That's it's, what it's I was going to say, Dr. Tess. Most of them don't. Like most women I know who are getting their, their thyroid checked, they're running like one lap. They're running TSH and that's it. And that's just what we're taught. And like I said, if I hadn't had the time, because I quit delivering babies six years ago, mm-hmm. if I hadn't had the time to to really look into it, because thyroids, you know, for doctors, kind of scary. It's like, I don't want to mess up someone's thyroid. You know, it's horrible. So we just don't invest the time in it because we don't have it. And then you start looking at it and you start treating a couple patients and you're like, wow, that made a huge difference. I mean, this lady's like a different person and she thinks I'm amazing. I can't tell you how many times it makes me laugh. Women will say, oh my God, you're so awesome. And I'm like, literally all I'm doing is replacing what isn't there. And it's not that hard, but it's like nobody else wants to do it. It's really interesting. But um, but yeah, that the hardest piece, because I'm in a lot of Facebook groups, is finding somebody that will listen. That's usually the hardest part. I agree. And I, your advice was so good because, yeah, it is, I mean, I get all the time, like, who should I go to? And we're even new to our area here in North Carolina. And I'm like, I need to start having a short list of people I can refer people to in person because it's it's tough on where to look and find. But I do feel like more and more practitioners are either integrating some functional medicine or integrative medicine into their practice. And um, hopefully it'll be much easier for people. But I think the advice you gave was great. Um, so we love to wrap every episode with a little rapid fire Q and a for our listeners sure. to get to know you better. So first okay. thing that comes to mind, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? Would I be a horrible person if I said I didn't have one? <laughs> I no, wish I did. That's um, okay. I would say actually for me, I, and this may sound silly, but when you're somebody that's mind is I'm going all day long and I'm talking to people. I'm perfectly happy watching Netflix for an hour. I mean, yeah. honestly, uh, I get I, I have an infrared sauna in the other room at my office and I'll sit in there for 45 minutes and I'll watch Netflix. And I actually look forward to that. I actually think I do it too much because I'm probably dehydrated. I mean, that dehydrated. sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm probably dehydrated because <laughs> I actually go in there too much. But uh, yeah, that's my de-stressor is my infrared sauna. Best money I, I ever I love spent. that. Oh, I know. I love it. That's it. That is on my short list. Um, okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee, definitely. But I did just buy, I, I did just buy a tea set and I am, I have a cup of hibiscus tea right next to me. Um, and it's actually quite delicious. It's uh, so delicious. Well, my, my significant other is from Mexico and they drink, um, Jamaica. It's a drink that's made out of hibiscus and I really like it. So I thought, wow, I'll just try this tea. And then I found out that hibiscus tea is lowers your blood pressure and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So I was like, well, I got to, so I just bought this whole tea set and I'm trying to, so now I'm getting into the tea, but I, I'm a coffee snob. Totally. How do you, and how do you take your coffee? Black with a little bit of half and half. Oh, I love it. That's, that's me too. Um, just a tip on hibiscus tea. I love to, when it's the warmer months. Mm-hmm. Make a big pitcher of iced hibiscus tea. It is life changing. It's so good. I, I had a little lemon. Batch, I made it way <laughs> too strong. I because uh, <laughs> I have the loose leaves, right? And I have yeah, this little. You got to be I careful. This little thing, and uh-huh. I put way too much in there, and I was like, "Oh my lord!" I had to dilute <laughs> it like three times. And sometimes you do have to watch. Like I will say, I I naturally have always had low blood pressure. And if I have hibiscus tea in the morning without any, like first thing, 
I will feel that low, like that lower in blood pressure even yep. more. So yep. just a note. Um, okay. My personal favorite question and last one, what is your favorite home cooked meal? For me, uh, I grew up Italian. Um, my grandmother was a really great cook and I really like lasagna. Uh, mm. it's, it's, uh, it's a delicious, uh, horrible thing to eat, but, uh, I think that it's probably the best thing that I cook. The problem is you can't just make it for one person. So um, if I could learn how to make it in an air fryer, I would, and then I could make one person. But but if I have a bunch of people coming over, that and brisket, because I'm in Austin. So I like to spend 12 hours and make a brisket sometimes. Oh, well, and you know what? That's fun. Then you get some friends involved or... That's what we have at Thanksgiving, a brisket. I don't do turkey, I do brisket. Oh, I would love to come over for, I mean, turkey so overrated to me. Um, but thank you so much, Dr. Tessa. Sure. This has been awesome. How can people connect with you, learn more, um, and hopefully possibly work with you if sure. you're licensed in their state? Yeah, I'm, uh, I have two websites. One is for appointments. It's Dr. Sean Tesson, so D-R-S-H-A-W-N-T-A-S-S-O-N-E. My other website, which is kind of just for all the other things I do, podcast and um, everything, is uh, tessonemd.com. You can find me on Instagram. I spend most of my time on Instagram at Sean TessonMD. Uh, my podcast is Confessions of a Male Gynecologist. And um, my book is The Hormone Balance Bible. It's on Amazon. And uh, yeah, I am, I'm currently licensed in about 10 states. So if you're interested, Call the office, uh, 512-956-0296, and um, the girls will let you know if I'm licensed in your state. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. This week's actionable step is to take one step to better supporting your hormones and incorporate one of the nutrients or habits Dr. Tessone discussed. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals, and remember you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at LiveWellWithKate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.